is risen. Yes, he is. Now listen. So the resurrection of Jesus changed history. It changed the world, and it's been changing lives ever since. In fact, I love the opportunity that Easter brings, but it does come with a challenge because it's not like you don't know what I'm going to talk about tonight, right? And uh, for those of you who only go to church on Christmas and Easter, I know why you don't come any other time. I get it because it's like every time you come, we're preaching the same two messages over and over and over again, right? And you're thinking, does this guy have any new material? I mean, can they come up with anything new to talk about? In fact, there's an old story I love that illustrates this problem. It happened at a church where they would have a children's service where this was kind of old school church. So if you grew up churched and you're over all oh, 45 to 50 years old, you probably saw a children's portion in a marriage so they, or, or in a service. They'd have all the kids come down. And in this case, the associate pastor was trying to do an analogy uh, to get the kids, you know, involved. So he began his analogy this way. He said, this little guy lives in a tree. Does anybody know who he is? It's just crickets. He gathers nuts in the fall. Now does anybody know? And again, just blank stares. He eats those nuts in the winter. Now can anybody tell me? And after just an incredibly awkward, long silence, a little boy in the back finally said, Listen, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Listen, you may think you know tonight that the answer is Jesus, but you need to know why that is so important. And it has everything to do with the resurrection. Now, for the last several months, we've been working our way through the book, a book called Ephesians. We're going to continue that series out of Easter. And what you need to know is that Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. Paul was actually an early skeptic of the early church. In other words, he thought the world would be a better place if this whole Jesus thing would just go away. And so he did everything he could to stop the early church, including arresting Christians and at a minimum at least approving of their deaths. So he was a violent persecutor of the early church. That is until everything changed when he met the risen Jesus. And that encounter changed everything for him. In fact, when Paul met Jesus The question that Jesus asked him is so intriguing to me. He didn't ask Paul, hey, why are you persecuting my church? Do you know what he asked him? He said, why are you persecuting me? This is how closely Jesus identifies with his children, those who would follow him. And in fact, right before that, here's how Jesus introduced himself to Paul. He said, I am Jesus whom you have been persecuting. So I wonder tonight, if Jesus were introducing himself to you, how would he do it? Maybe he would say it this way, I am Jesus whom you've been ignoring. I'm Jesus whom you've been putting in a box. I am Jesus whom you've been resisting. 
See, the fact that Jesus is risen means that he is still, even tonight, introducing himself to people. In fact, total transparency, many, many of us have been praying here that some of you tonight would take that introduction to Jesus, that you would say yes to that. And so this, what, what I think is so fascinating about Paul and his story, the man who writes the words that we're going to read together in just a few moments, is that this early skeptic, this doubter of Christianity, uh, becomes a Christian solely and only because of the resurrection of Jesus. See, and uh, again, the words we're going to read tonight are his words, and so here's how he talked about the resurrection. Brandon just read through this. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, there were a group of uh, people in Judaism, a group of very respected teachers, and they were called Sadducees. And uh, they were very, very respected. And one of the things the Sadducees believed was that there was no such thing as a resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. You see. I'm just going to move on. Anyway, their teaching had clearly infiltrated the church at Corinth. So Paul is going to address that, this false teaching that had begun to spread into the church. So he goes on, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, this is so amazing, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now, this just shows us how seriously these early writers of Scripture took the resurrection. It was black and white to them. And he is saying that without the resurrection of of Jesus, all preaching is useless. It serves no purpose. It, It has no basis. And that would mean that what you and I are doing together tonight would have no meaning whatsoever. And some of you suspected as much, right? Furthermore, he says that any little bit of comfort that you and I might get today, any little bit of hope that we would garner that might rise up because of our faith, that that would all be in vain, that would all be useless. And then he goes on, more than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. See how he's repeating himself. This is so important. He's he's restating so that we understand how critical the resurrection is. And he's literally saying that if the resurrection didn't happen, that we're we're guilty, um, you know, we're guilty of deceit, that we're like trafficking in falsehood about God because we're claiming that God raised him from the dead when in fact God did not. He's saying, look, we're just false witnesses pushing a product that doesn't work. We're shifty used car salesmen selling a vehicle that doesn't start or won't drive. And then then he continues, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's already told us that once, so he's coming back to it. You are still in your sins. He's saying, look, if there is no resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. Absolutely none. There is no hope 
for mankind, period. It is the resurrection of Jesus that has the power to overcome sin. And it is the resurrection of Jesus that has the power to bring new life, nothing else. And so he goes on. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, it's not just us. It's, look, if Christ has not been raised, it's everybody that's gone before us. I mean, it's all the saints of the Old Testament. It's all of the saints that have gone before us. Our grandfathers, our grandmothers, our great-grandfathers, everyone that's come before us, they all hoped in vain as well. Now, and then he goes on and says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now, why would he say something that stark? Because he's saying, look, because in that case, we would be following and proclaiming someone who's a sham. You know, it would be, it would be like a waste of our entire lives. Now, I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus, I was in the car with my father, and we were talking about my new decision to follow Jesus. And my dad said to me, Uh, You don't want to be a Christian. He said, Christians are weak and stupid people who need a crutch. I mean, if you become a Christian, you're going to be wasting, he said, your whole life. Now listen, what Paul is saying here is that if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, that my father was absolutely right. My whole life has been a waste. So do you know what I did? I said to my father, Dad, I would never want to waste my life, especially on something that that would be make-believe, right? So, hey, Dad, you'd be doing me a favor if you could show me the evidence that led you to conclude there is no God. And so why don't we just start by studying the book of John together? And if I'm wrong, you can show me the truth. And what's so fascinating is my dad declined that offer um, and just uh, and that began decades of conversation that my father and have would would have about uh, Jesus in particular and then God more generally, and so Paul concludes this way though he says, listen, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's saying, look, the resurrection of Jesus leaves no doubt, and it means that he alone knows how to fix what is broken in you and in me. You know, one of the speakers we just heard from said, right, there's, there's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's a lot of hurt. And it means he is the only the first to rise to give us new life and fix what is broken in us. I've, I know a great story to illustrate this. So, There was a man by the name of Charles Steinmetz was a mathematician and an electrical engineer who worked for General Electric. He was actually known as the Wizard of Schenectady. Now, Schenectady, New York was where the headquarters of General Electric were located. And Charles Steinmetz counted men like Albert Einstein and Thomas Edison as his personal friends. In fact, Life magazine did a story on him in 1965, uh, which is where this story 
comes from, seems he was called upon to visit the Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan around 1920 because Ford's own electrical engineers couldn't figure out how to solve some problems they were having with one of Ford's gigantic electrical generators that had been manufactured by GE. So when he arrived, Steinmetz refused to collaborate with Ford's engineers and he just asked for three things. He asked for a notebook, he asked for a pencil, and he asked for a cot. So for two days, he listened to the generator, he scribbled computations, and he took notes. At the end of the second day, he asked for a ladder, he climbed up the generator, made a chalk mark on the side of the generator. He then told Ford's skeptical engineers to remove the plate with the chalk mark and replace 16 windings from a field coil. They did and the generator performed to perfection. Well, Henry Ford was absolutely thrilled about this until he got an invoice from GE a few weeks later in the sum of $10,000. Now listen, you need to know that in 1920, $10,000 would have been worth hundreds of thousands of dollars today. This was an enormous sum of money. So naturally, Henry Ford was furious about the price, so he asked for an itemized bill. So Steinmetz responded personally to Ford's request and sent him an itemized invoice. And here's what that invoice looked like. Making one chalk mark a dollar, knowing where to put it, $9,999. And you know what? Ford paid the bill. Isn't that awesome? Listen, Jesus knows what is broken in you. He knows where to put the chalk mark. He knows how to identify what is broken in you. And you know how he knows? Because he conquered death and is the only one in history to ever do it. Uh, listen, friends, the resurrection makes all the difference. It means that he paid the bill for your sin and for mine. And he paid it totally and completely and victoriously. And it means that he makes it possible for you and I to exchange our brokenness, our bondage to sin for his righteousness and his holiness. And here's what's so amazing to me about the resurrection. The resurrection isn't just something God did as if, you know, his best days are behind him. Like that's just something in the past. No, the resurrection means that God is still bringing people back to life. Still, still healing people of what is broken in their hearts and in their minds, and that he's doing that in the present, today, right now, here, tonight. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to invite you. Um, we've got a, one, just one of the many, many stories of how God is changing hearts and minds here at Shelbyville Community Church and how he's fixing what is broken in people. So check out your screen. I got caught on my warrant in Rush County. And at the time I was tired of running, I was living in, you know, a motel. And when they found me, they expected to find 
significant amount of drugs. I didn't. I think I took my last hit earlier that morning. I got arrested at 10 at night. I was just tired, so I just surrendered and gave in. And I called Mary and Marsha and Stephanie, and I remember begging them to get me out of jail. And they said no, and I just completely shut down because I didn't get what I want, and I had to sit. I lost my job because of COVID. I lost my house. I was getting beat up. I was homeless, sleeping under bridges, and it was just boom, 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 boom. I'm losing everything. You know, I was a sustainable addict for 15, 16 years. Now I've lost everything, and I was mad. He was bringing me to that point where enough was enough. It had to be. I was pretty much dead in every area of my life, barely hanging on physically. God was telling me, this is your last shot. You know what I mean? Don't waste it. You know, find out who you are in me and what your, your mission is in life. You know, give me just a little bit of faith. You give me just that, then let me show you what mountains you can move. I came here because I knew I needed to get help, and this was the place to do it. You know, you can go to jail and be off of a drug because you have to, you know, and that you're sober. Recovery is when you're sober, but you work towards figuring out what triggers or what bitter roots or what causes you and you work on yourself, and a lot of that's from the past. I had to completely give up that and surrender to authority here and to God in order for me to grow. So recovery is more, you work at always recovering from something, and that's not always drug addiction. It's hurts, habits, hangups, it can be anything. So, you know, we all have something we can recover from, it's not just addiction. When I went into college, um, I ended up getting raped. I was in a, a shock for a while, like, did this really happen? The feeling you get when you're, you know, you're naive and you don't think there's any bad in the world. Stuff like this doesn't happen to me, it's on TV, so that's when I shut down internally. I just didn't want anybody to know you feel dirty. I mean, there wasn't enough hot showers, it just of the way I treated myself. I was really into my fate, so I became angry at God and kind of said, you know what? I've done everything I could for you, and this is what happened, so I started to blame God. And from there, trickled from pills to, you know, spice to meth to anything to really mask the pain. The high maintained me, but I really wasn't living, I was just existing. It started with those bitter roots that ended me in addiction, that ended me coming here so I could fix those roots that's ended me in recovery. I've gotten to go to RLI, which is Restoring Lives International, a few times. RLI really helped me to learn how to separate the sin from the man so and learn forgiveness so God can take care of what he needs to on that person's part to start my healing. And so, yeah, it really was when I got here. I started facing those demons that, you know, it started just going away. And now it's, it's great to talk about stuff like that the healing that I got from a lot of stuff that happened that I never thought would. And it's beautiful. And now it's great to not be mad at God, to see that His ways are good even, even in the ashes. He still made beauty from it. At the end of my rope, when I went to jail, when I came to this house, it was more evident than ever. He's always been there, just waiting for me to come back and pick up the pieces from when I was 17, 18. I started to see myself for who he saw me for, and it's been a love relationship since. I'm his masterpiece, I'm his creation. I, I relish in that. I love it that 
I make him smile. Who I am in him and who I've always wanted to be, that I'm starting to become that woman that he's created and to bring glory to him makes me happy because he sat back and watched me torment myself for a while. Now that I'm learning to walk with him, be victorious, it's, it's a great journey and it's, he's just the lover of my soul. He's just, it's amazing how much he means to me now and how meaningful it is to me that my graduation weekend is the weekend of Easter and how he rose Jesus from the dead so I could be here doing this now is amazing and I couldn't give more glory to God and I'm so thankful. So just as an aside, you know, if you've been uh, sacrificing and uh, giving to All In or investing anything in our All In journey over the last couple of years, uh, this is one of the life change stories that's coming out of that. And that life change story wouldn't have happened without your investment, without your sacrifice. See, you are a part, you know, whether you know Tasha or not or you know, you're a part of what God did in her life. And this is one of the incredible things to me about being part of a journey like this is, you know, for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, lives are going to continue to be changed because we came together and said, not here, not anymore. You know, and we rose up together and we did something about it, and now God's doing good things. See, here's what the resurrection of Jesus means. It means that Jesus' resurrection yesterday means that he's still raising up uh, lives today, now, here. Uh, and how is it that people find that kind of healing? I mean, what is it that Tasha needed to know? Well, they need to know something that the biblical writers called good news and Paul the same man that wrote the book of Ephesians is going to tell us very clearly here in this same chapter what the good news is in fact these are some words he'd written just a few verses before the ones that we just walked through and here's what he says now brothers I want to remind you of the gospel now that word gospel literally means good news I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. So this tells us something else about the gospel. You have to embrace it. You have to open your heart and your mind to it. You have to receive it. And then he goes on and says, and on which you've taken your stand. In other words, that's what you live your life on. You live your life out of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, by this gospel or good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed, you know, in vain. So he's just saying, look, the gospel isn't something you just receive. You have to stand in it. You have to stand on it. You have to grow up into it. You have to allow it to transform and shape and change your lives. And then here he's going to tell us exactly what the gospel is. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, he's saying this is foundational. There's nothing more important in Christianity than the following words. This is what Christianity is all about. 
is essentially what he's saying. And he's saying this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day also according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Now, those words right there are at the center of what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus. They are of utmost importance. And I, I need you to hear me say that as a church, we will never stop speaking these life-changing words. Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised again for the forgiveness of sin and to bring new life. That is the good news, friends. That is the good news that every one of us in this room are called to believe, to receive, and not just to receive, but to stand on, to build a life on, to build an identity out of. In other words, regardless of whatever tape plays in your head that says who you are, No, you are better than that because Christ died for you. What is something worth? Well, it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it, right? What was Christ willing to pay for you? Everything. Everything. That means you are valuable. You are worthwhile in God's sight, in his mind. He died as a sacrifice to put an end to all sacrifices. He was buried and he was raised on the third day to provide forgiveness of sin and new life. This is the message that everyone needs to know and receive. And you need to understand the resurrection is absolutely vital to that message. If there is no resurrection, then we have no message. We have nothing to offer. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And I want to tell you a story just to illustrate why this is so important. So when you work at Disneyland, there's one value that's bigger than anything else. So in the training process, every employee is told this about Disney. Here is what puts the magic in the magic kingdom. You go the extra mile. You go over and above. You serve every guest impeccably. So when someone walks through our gates, you treat every encounter with them as if they were your personal friend. If they need directions, you escort them. If you're asked a question, and you've heard that question a thousand times, you answer it like you've never heard it before. And here's how committed they are to that value. There's a ride in Disneyland called the Jungle Cruise. The most common question asked at the Jungle Cruise is this, how long is the ride? So they give their employees a standard answer that they're supposed to tell everybody that asks that question. They're supposed to say this, the Jungle Cruise is an exciting adventure uh, ride that lasts 10 minutes. And they're supposed to say that over and over and over again with all the, you know, excitement and enthusiasm that they can muster right well there was a guy who worked at the jungle cruise he'd been asked that question so many times 
He just snapped. He couldn't take it anymore. And so that morning, a couple approached him and they asked him, how long is the jungle cruise? And this is a true story as far as I know. He looked at them and said, it's three days. (laughs) So that couple got out of line. They left the park, they went back to the Disney Hotel, packed up all of their suitcases, checked out of their hotel, came back and got in line again at the, at the Jungle Cruise for their exciting three-day adventure. The next day, there was somebody new at the Jungle Cruise saying, the Jungle Cruise is an exciting adventure that is 10 minutes long. See, that guy lost his job, right? And if, you, if we all think about it, he deserved it, didn't he? And listen, every single one of us in this room knows what it is like to forfeit our patience, to lose our temper, to lash out at someone else, to say the wrong thing or to do the wrong thing. This is a part of the human condition. And somebody has to pay for that. Because life is a lot more important than than an amusement park ride, isn't it? Well, in the resurrection of Jesus, friends, somebody did. Somebody did pay for that. See, this is the good news of Christianity. This is the good news of the resurrection of our Jesus. So here's the question for you tonight. This is where we've been going all evening long. If you haven't currently receive that good news if you've never taken it upon yourself to believe it to open your heart and your mind to it will you will you do that listen this message this news has been shaping and transforming and changing lives for for 2,000 years and it's not about to stop now and you can get on that train you can be part of that ride you can be part of a story that is bigger and better than just your lone solitary story tonight now and I want you to notice the phrase that keeps recurring here and I think this brings so much color to everything that Paul has said There's this phrase that we kept reading saying, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies given about the Messiah in the Old Testament. In other words, the way he lived, the way he suffered, the way he died, all happened exactly as the Old Testament predicted. He was a fulfillment of prophecy and not only that listen to how he concludes his conversation about the good news he says after that in other words after he appeared to Peter after he appeared to the 12 he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living in other words he's saying look you can go to these people right now and you can ask any of them and they will tell you Jesus rose, he lives, he's alive. And then he goes on, then he appeared to James and then to the apostles and last of all, he appeared to me. Now notice the language that Paul is using here. He's not appealing, he's not saying, hey, this is what I believe or this is what Peter believed or this is what James believed. No, he's saying, look, this is what we saw. 
We were eyewitnesses. This is not the language of a fairy tale. This is the language of a courtroom. He's saying, look, there are people still alive today that can tell you that what I'm saying is absolutely true. And I want you to think about this because one of the names on this list was James. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And what's so telling to me about his testimony is that he didn't become a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. And that kind of actually makes sense. I mean, to put that in perspective, let me ask you a question. How many of you have a brother or a sister? Okay, so what would that, let's say, let's say we're talking about a brother in this case. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? I mean, this was James' problem, right? I mean, Jesus is doing all these miracles. He's walking on water and James is like, uh-uh. That's my brother. I grew up with the guy. I know, Right? See, but it was only after he witnessed Jesus' resurrection from the dead that he knew. He knew. It's so incredible to me. So how about you? You know, the resurrection, as I mentioned, has been changing lives. Back when I was, uh, first couple of years in college, I received this message into my life. And it, it completely shaped and changed my life. I became convinced as a college student who'd been searching out the truth of God ever since I'd lost my mom in middle school. So how about you? Will you believe and receive the good news of Jesus? He died, he was buried, and he rose again for the forgiveness of sins, your sins, my sins. Jesus knows what is broken in you, and he knows how to fix it. So will you trust him with that? Will you offer that up to him tonight? So I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you're here, and you've never thought about it that clearly or that plainly or that simply and maybe tonight is your night maybe you're one of those people that we've been praying for that you would accept Jesus introduction into your life tonight and maybe you're here and you just know it's time I mean you know that nobody else is coming for you that the resurrection means that Jesus is the only one who can fix what needs to be fixed in your life so will you trust him with that let me pray for you and then what we're going to do after I pray and while I'm praying our team's going to come up and we're just going to respond with worship together tonight and as you're worshiping we're going to sing a song called he is by David Crowder and maybe you're not going to want to pray along with me in this moment, and that's fine. But maybe as you're considering the words that we're singing, you know, the Holy Spirit will just prompt something or move you. Well, then you can pray it there. But I want to show you how. I want you to know how to do it so that whether you're going to do it here or at home tonight or somewhere else tomorrow, this is the central message of Christianity, and it's the most important news you're ever going to hear. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news. Lord Jesus, you died. You were buried. 
you were raised for the forgiveness of sins and to bring new life. And so, Lord, as we sing about you, we acknowledge together that there is none like you. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have demonstrated your great love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us in the middle of our mess in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our brokenness. And not only you know, and only you know how to put us back together again. So Father, we choose to receive the message onto ourselves. We choose to stand in it and stand on it. We choose to grow up into it. We choose to allow it to inform our identities. We choose to let it speak into our value and worth. We receive that message and we receive you. We ask you tonight to be our forgiver and our leader. You didn't just offer your life, but you offer that life to each and every one of us. So Lord Jesus, we just open ourselves up to you. We acknowledge the truth of your word where you say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and commune with him. So Lord Jesus, would you come in? Anyone here tonight that's opening their heart, opening their mind up to you. Any in this room that desire to receive you tonight, would you assure them by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will take them up on that, that you are taking up residence in them, in them right now tonight. And Lord, help us steward their decisions well. Help, help us show them next steps. Help them show them how to stand in that, how to grow up into that. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. It's a game changer. And we're grateful for you and for it. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, let's uh, worship together. Would you guys be willing to stand?